Bible Beacon Broadcast. As contemporary Christians, we try to understand what the scriptures teach. Even with all differing interpretations and methods of interpretations derived at to the scriptures, which could lead many to false conclusions. Here at Bible Beacon Broadcast, we challenge the listeners to test the scriptures in light of the revelation that God has provided. Looking at those men who come on the show to present their positions and why they believe what they believe. The question is, why do you believe what you believe? Are you coming to your conclusions because of what you've been told? Or is it what you have found in the scriptures that convicts you to hold to what you believe? We will have many guests come onto this program that will lighten up your minds and should create enthusiasm for the Word of God to go and open up your own Bibles. They do not want to handicap anyone to be ignorant. And anyone who listens should go and test these things according to the Scriptures. Be prepared. Be prepared with an answer from God. Bible Beacon Broadcast. Here's your host, Derek Lambert, and I am hanging out here in North Carolina. I've had a good day today, um, and a lot of stuff has happened this week. We're trying to get things in order, and uh, there was actually recently hereby, just giving you guys a uh, little snippet before we begin, there was a cop uh, that got shot here on the news nearby. I posted it on Facebook, but uh, I actually got the whole thing on film and uh, went down and uh, they, you know, investigated and, you know, they, and, uh, I guess you say, interviewed me. And uh, it turns out that the guy who broke in, a lot of people were looking at this guy and they're like, this guy is a robber. He broke in. He's, um, you know, a really bad person and so forth. Come to find out the guy, had he was schizophrenic and um, he had tried to take his life over the past six months three times. And he had been asking neighbors if he could borrow their gun just so that he could kill himself. He wanted to end it. So, you know, that just kind of leaves you with some mystery. And, uh, you know, you don't really know what's going on in that matter. You don't really know what's happening in that scenario, what was going on through that man's mind. And will we ever discover, really, what happened in that guy's mind that made him do what he did or what his purpose and his intentions or motives were? That's something that I would consider a mystery or a secret thing. Which brings us to Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25 says these are the or these also are proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. That's New King James Version there, but God seals seals things or keeps mysteries hidden, but it's it's for a king to search the matter out and to figure these things out. In the New Testament, talks about them being kings and priests of the God and His Father, which is significant. 
Now under the new covenant, we would all be considered kings and priests to God and his Father, not just uh, certain different degrees and levels under an old covenant where everyone's working their butt off to try and attain or to keep right where Christ is now the one we look to, the one we keep our eyes on, the one we searched for and continue to search and continue to be more like. So I titled the program, It Makes Sense. I think that's what I titled it. Let's see what I titled Yeah, it makes sense. Coming to creation. It makes sense. And I have a lot of things that over the time I've had a lot of people who are opponents to covenant creation say, oh, man, this makes no sense when you can gather some evidence, when you can actually prove to us some things that give us proof that this is true, and then we'll actually believe it. I don't think that's necessarily true for most of them that are, that are actually uh, opponents to covenant creation. It, I mean, I'm new to this, and, um, you know, I have been saturated with the study. And it is amazing to see the, the amazing truths that are behind this all throughout the scriptures. And I, I figure it would be an interesting topic to bring in uh, predestination to this concept of covenant creation. Because predestination is a hot topic. You know, some churches, you say that word and they'll think you said a curse word or something. Or, hey, get out of my church, you know. You believe in predestination. But you know what's significant in uh, covenant creation? I was reading Ephesians 1. And Paul talks about, uh, he's an apostle by the word of God, but, you know, Jesus Christ by the word of God. And so he says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption of sons, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And I thought it was interesting because we've read this before, and those of us who have been Calvinists would look at it and go, look, 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 right here, verse 4, just as he chose us, me, 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 in him before the foundation of the world. And they think that is talking about the cosmological creation of planet Earth. And they don't realize that the foundation of the world is actually taking place in Genesis, and it's not talking about a concordance view, rather a non-concordance view. Simply put, it's not talking about physical elements, physical cosmological cre creation, where most say out of nothing, but there are others who look at it plainly, if you will, without any spice to it, just purely blatantly literal, and it's not any, it's not really spiritual, it's just completely physical. They don't have, uh, they don't have answers for much of the stuff that we bring up. And I think it's interesting that we need to reevaluate this. And if we're open, if we're honestly open and looking throughout the whole Bible, we'll start to come to some interesting conclusions about what's going on in Genesis 1. And I figure it'd be best to start with Christ. Let's just start with Christ real quick here in Matthew 13, verse 34. Now, remember, he's speaking in parables. I'm like, why do you speak in parables, you know? And he says, so that we fulfill what the prophet says. And he talks about, you know, they will have not, not eyes to see or ears to hear what the Lord is saying. And so there are those who are blind to these things, and he keeps them secret from them. And there are those who seek out the truth. That's why I believe he says, seek for me or search for me with all your heart, and you will find me when you do so. That is, that is solely important. It takes a willing person. Someone has to be willing to these matters out with an open mind and not be, oh, well, I, I can't see that. I, I have to shut this off. And they haven't really investigated what's being on 
interesting is in Matthew 13, Jesus gives seven parables, seven parables in Matthew 13. In verse 34, which is actually after the fourth parable, and on day four, we know in Genesis 1, he talks about the sun, moon, and stars, uh, given <clears throat> days, years, months, you know, the, it's, it's all tied into the feast days uh, and the people of the feast days. You can't separate the two. Um, but in Matthew, or, uh, yeah, Matthew 13, verse 34, it says, All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Now, I think it's really interesting when he's giving seven parables, just a simple observation. We know that there are seven days, and we see that he created all things and rests on the seventh day. So there's seven days of creation, if you will. And we see seven parables. Well, I think numbers have significance, absolutely. But if you read these parables, you'll find some really, really interesting stuff. John Walton actually you know, wrote on this. His view of creation is different than a cosmological creation view. And he understands the word barah in Hebrew, which means fatten or to cut, to enrich, is the idea that is given in barah. It's not out of nothing. It's to fatten something already there. You know, creating me a new heart, O Lord, was mentioned yesterday by Brother Frank Davis. And, um, and he didn't get to go into any detail because he did a summary. He went into a, a basic summary, if you will. Well, let's read the last parable that Jesus gives about the, the dragnet. Verse 47 of Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that is cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down. It's interesting how it's plural in this because if you read the other parables, it will speak about an individual uh, male or it will talk about an individual female. Um, but here he mentions they sat down and gathered the good uh, into vessels, but through the bad way. So he gathered the good and threw away the bad. And we see that in other parables, you know, the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats. But what's significant about this is they sat down, they rested. They rested. It's the same term that you see in Genesis where we see God resting from all his work. On the seventh parable, they rested. They sat down. I think that's very significant that you see this going on where they're sitting, they're resting, and he rests. And then throws away the bad and keeps the good, which... That's judgment, and it's resurrection for the good, obviously, in the latter day. But to go into Genesis chapter 2, I think this is significant as well. Don't mind the kids in the background. You know, they're in the other room running around. It's the only place I have that's uh, somewhat kept secret from them. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Well, if Genesis chapter 2's you will, reiterating chapter 1. Chapter 1 is when God created Adam. He created a male and female. And uh, that would be plural. I guess you could, you could argue that that's plural. But it's significant when we see here in verse 1 of chapter 2 that he created all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested. He sat down on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. 
And he goes on to explain later, he says, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before he planned on the field. And he goes down and goes through this whole story into Adam and Eve falling, or God creating Eve, and then Adam and Eve falling and so forth in chapter 3. But what is interesting in chapter 2, he blesses the seventh day, sanctifies it. He's resting on all, from all his work that he had created or made and worked. He worked. Now he's resting from his work. And I mentioned this on uh, one of the uh, chat rooms last night with uh, Lori Forget. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Beat me up later, Lori, if I pronounce that improperly. But I think it's really interesting when we look at Isaiah 46.10 at this, if you will, idea of resting and so forth. God rests from his works in Genesis chapter 2, which is the seventh day pertaining to chapter 1. We see that he rests on the seventh day of his works. Now, if that day is, is not prophetic, if, not, if it's not covenant creation, why does God work all throughout the Old Testament? Why is it that he's doing work? It's a good question to ask. Well, someone might say, well, he, he ended his work of, uh, of planet, you know, of, of universal cosmological creation. And he sanctified that day, if you will. To begin with a universal cosmological creation, just flat out blank, means you will end a cosmological creation. And if the seventh day is attached to the cosmological creation, if you will, the creation of a physical planet and so forth, then the seventh day would also be destroyed with that. And I think that's very significant with God sanctifying the seventh day. But I believe the ultimate purpose for the resting of the seventh day deals with uh, the end. But anyway, we're going to get into that. But King James Version of Isaiah 46.10 says, uh, Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God will do all his pleasure. So he, he tells the end. He, he tells the end. He doesn't guess. He doesn't. It's not something hidden that we don't have in the Word of God. This isn't something we just think, well, God already knew the end from the beginning. Of course he knew the end from the beginning. Um, that's, that's obvious. He declared the end from the beginning. He did more than just know it. He established it. He set it in stone. You see, you know, the flower fades, the grass withers, but the Word of God stands forever. See, God had wrote these things, or if you will, moved holy men to write these things, declaring the end from the beginning. He made it established at the beginning in Genesis, the very end. And if we could get our, our minds open enough to look at this and to ponder throughout the scriptures, catch the same, the same theme, the same language, you know, you see this all throughout the scriptures, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. It's interesting to see his counsel saying he'll do all his pleasure or his good pleasure, accomplish all his good pleasure. Well, that's he's working. He's working. His counsel saying he is at work here. Why does God rest from all his works? Where does it say he starts working again? Where do we get this idea that God is still working after his seventh day of creation? There's no day or night. The day doesn't end. That seventh day is ongoing forever. God rested on the seventh day in Genesis chapter 2, you know, and explains the heavens and earth are completed, and the host of them, which is, should be a very interesting idea there, the host, when we look throughout all of Scripture, we see hosting armies and peoples. We see it used as peoples and armies, and the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of the heavens and earth. 
I think it's interesting when we look, if the seventh day has no end and God rests on it, then who gives that right scripturally to speak that God stopped resting and now he's at work? Where, where's this idea? The seventh day, he's done, he's done working. Uh, I, I think that it's, a, it's very significant because God works through all the scriptures. You know, Romans 8. You see very, very clearly in Romans 8, 28. He works all things for the good of those who love him, to those who are be called according to his good pleasure. So I think that's that's very significant. We see good pleasure, or if you will, uh, his purpose being played out here. Ephesians 1 does the same thing from the foundation of the world. Since before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. Well, that's really interesting. It's using the same exact language that we see here in Isaiah 46.10. And it ties right back into Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis 2. So God is not keeping these things secret as in, they're not something that you can't see now. He has made it to where they are able to understand what he spoke in these scriptures. I mean, I have to admit that it's heavy to understand if you don't really see the end from the beginning. I gave this example before, and I'm sure if any of you guys have seen, um, you know, what's that, Shutter Island with Leonardo DiCaprio, or if you watch uh, some of these other mystery movies, you know, you're left hanging at the very beginning. You don't really grasp what's going on at the beginning. You finish the whole movie, and at the end, if any of you have seen uh, Shutter Island, at the end you go, was, was Leonardo DiCaprio actually insane? Or were they really a bad people on this island that were trying to tell him he's crazy? And so, you, you know, you, you rewatch it again, and you catch snippets that feed both sides. I've come to the conclusion that he actually was. He lost his mind because of his, you know, his family. Uh, his his wife killed the children and all this is horrifying, but you know I think he did. But it still leaves you mystified. Christ comes on the scene and he says very clear clearly to the apostles. He said to them, uh, "Let's see, where's he said it in uh, Matthew 13? I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world." So this is prophesied by Isaiah of things that were spoken of or kept secret, if you will that were spoken of, though, in parables from the foundation of the world. So you could almost look at Genesis as a parable, in a sense. It's very par- it has parabolic type of uh, language to it. And to understand it, it's very, it's very difficult without watching the whole movie. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I suggest watch the whole movie of Scripture. Watch the whole movie and watch it all the way to the end. Don't just skip to the end because you're going to miss all the meat. But when you read it from Genesis to Revelation... We get to the end of the book and we go, wow, this is amazing. Let me go reread Genesis and keep in mind some ideas here. Okay, the earth is without form and void. The darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved or hovered over the face of the waters. Wow, what do we see in Genesis 1 verse 2? Well, we see earth or land or people of the land. So you see this idea of land. Now, I believe it's people of the land, you know, people who were there. They were in darkness. Okay, so we see they're without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. They had no spiritual light. They had no revealing of the truth. Uh, uh, he had no covenant, no light shining down. There were no people of the light. There was no day, if you will, speaking of God's spiritual light. Uh, people of the day and, and there are people of the night, which is significant to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. God spoke, said, let there be light. There was light. God called the light day. Darkness he called night. So you have people of the night. In, or people of the light and people of uh, darkness, if you will. Day, people of the day, people of the night. 
and I think it's really significant in verse 2, that the heavens gave no light, and the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. All three days, the first three days, are right there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Day 1, 2, and 3. We have Now, they're not in sequential order, as you read them. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the, the face of the waters. Right there, we have waters. The last thing, if you will, is the waters. That's day two. Waters that the Spirit of God is over. We see that there is land without form and void. That would be day three. And day one is the heavens gave no light. God spoke to let there be light. So all three days, right there in Genesis 1, verse 2. And I think that's really interesting to tie it into also the fact that waters are mentioned. Why are waters mentioned to be in there? And he ends up on day five, filling the waters with creatures, or if you will, fattening uh, or enriching, barah, as the Hebrew term in Genesis 1-1 states. He enriches the water on day five, but what's interesting is there's no enriching or fattening of the heavens and earth in, in verse one. Well, Revelation 21 says, I saw the old heavens and old earth pass away, and I saw new heavens and new earth. Well, I saw new heavens and new earth, and old heavens and old earth pass away, and I saw no more sea. He didn't fatten the sea because there was no more sea. <clears throat> There's no more Jew, nor Gentile, nor Greek, nor, you know, the whole nine years. Uh, you, you understand that there was a separation between peoples. But all are in Christ. And I think that's significant with Ephesians 2 because I believe that the sea was also an outer course experience. They had to worship God from afar. They couldn't enter into the temple, if you will. Uh, they couldn't worship God as these others uh, were able to worship God. But he destroyed that. And now there's no more or outer courts. Well, we see this day and night, and we see it played out prophetically also throughout the scriptures, and especially in the New Testament. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, or face to face with God. <clears throat> and the same was in the beginning with God. I'm just quoting off my mind. I'm not reading these things. I'm just giving you guys an idea. We've read this verse, John 1, 1, and on. And he says that he was the life, Christ, of course, was the life uh, and the light of men. And he came to his own, his own received them not. Uh, they love darkness rather than light. Now, what in the world is darkness? And what in the world is light? Well, just think about it. Darkness and light. They love darkness. Of course, they liked 3 a.m. in the morning. They liked going out extremely late at night. They didn't like the daytime, so they slept during the daytime and didn't come out because they were vampires. No, that's, it has nothing to do with that. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> if Christ is saying these things are kept secret from the foundation of the world, and he's starting to reveal these things that have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Don't you think it's significant that if something is secret being revealed here in the New Testament from the beginning, Genesis creation, well, maybe we should go back after we've watched the movie of the Bible, the movie of Scripture, if you will, using that metaphorically, the movie of God's book, and we go back and reread the story and start to look and see, wow, seventh day Sabbath, he rests from his works. Wow, okay, making them in the image of God. And it's not just scripture that reveals this, but you can also read other books such as the Epistle of Barnabas. You know, there's other books that kind of point to this reality that the sixth day pointed to Christ and the apostles uh, and those who will obviously be informed. It gives the same clear identity to day six to Christ's day. It's saying that that was Christ's day. Wow, people are in the image of God. People are made into the image of God. That's really significant. I think that's interesting. 
Now, what that does with the rest of the story, that's stuff for us to continue to look out and investigate um, and to search these matters out. As it says in uh, you know, Proverbs 25.2, says, uh, you know, the heaven, or it says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search a matter out. And I think we need to search these things out. And once we do, I think we'll be mind-blown to see when it uses language like from the creation of the world or the foundation of the earth or these types of ideas, and we see these things, we should really go back and reinvestigate what's going on in Genesis and check it out. Just test it, you know, theorize and take consideration that these things have been kept secret right there in that writing. And I think that it very much is, especially being a chiastic structure as Genesis 1 is, day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6. Day 1 matches day 4, day 2 matches day 5, day, uh, day 3 matches day 6. And we see this chiastic structure. Well, guess what? That's not the only place in the scriptures the chiastic structure is used. You can look up almost any profound commentary on Revelation and uh, scholars who've done work on this, and they'll tell you very clearly that the book of Revelation was written chiastically as well. Well, maybe something's going on there. It's just a thought. And, you know, for those naysayers of covenant creation, I must say, I didn't look at covenant creation because, uh, oh, science or uh, some type of, uh, uh, I had some presupposition that I wanted to try and say, well, science is really leaning in this direction. I should, I should really consider this in light of science. No, you know what blew me away was the idea of Genesis 1 uh, and so forth being uh, prophetic. And it all happened when I listened to Frank Stevens' YouTube video a while back. I was listening to Frank Stevens' YouTube video, and I was, I was really shocked to see the people of the day and the people of the night. Yeah, why, why does God bless the fish and the, and the birds on the fifth day just as he blessed the beast of the field and man made in the image of God on day six? Why? You know, that's interesting. I think that's very significant. Man, it's so simple. It makes sense. You know, the theme of this program, it, it makes so much sense to see, as we do, as believing in covenant eschatology, that we see the end and we go, wow, this is covenant heavens and earth. The heavens and earth are covenantal. Man, this makes so much sense. You know, I'm starting to realize that this stuff is this apocalyptic uh, language or this this destruction language or this cosmic crazy language that sounds like the earth's going to crack in half and the mountains are going to melt, you know, and all this kind of stuff. You know, when we understand that mountains, it, it describes kingdoms, it describes nations. You know, we understand that language. We've got to speak like a Hebrew. I mean, you can't emphasize that enough. Man, you can't emphasize that enough. Once we understand that as covenant eschatology, uh, believers, you know, fulfilled believers, believers that believe Jesus kept his word. Or do we listen to all that Jesus says? Is everything that Jesus said what we believe in? Do we realize how he understood these things? Because he's revealing things that have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. That might tell you something. They didn't realize what was going on from the foundation of the world. The epistle of Barnabas says that they interpreted, um, they interpreted many things that were in the law according to the flesh without realizing the significance, you know. You know, they, they would hear, do not eat the swine. Well, they'd say, don't actually eat food that's a swine. That's that's the that's the link they would take it, you know. We're not supposed to eat swine because it's an unclean animal. Well, the Epistle of Barnabas states that, don't you think it's interesting? And he says, this is what it means. He says, do not be a swine, like a swine. Do not cry for your food when you're hungry, 
uh, remembering your master when you're hungry, and when you're full, your master has fed you, you forget your master altogether. That's what swine do. He says, uh, you know, don't eat these certain birds. It's described in the law. Well, that meant don't eat these birds, right? Physically, actual eating of birds. That's what the children of Israel interpreted to, you know? And what did the epistle of Barnabas say? He said, look, this is what it means. And he says, it means don't be a thief and a robber. Well, what the heck does that have to do with a bird? And he gives an example. He said, birds wait for their prey, if you will, to gather the food. And once they've gotten the food, they go and steal the food from the person. So they don't really have to work. They're not workers. They're just thieves. They take what they want, but they don't work to get it. They wait for these other animals to go get the food, and then they take it. Wow. Well, missed that point in the law. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think the same thing's what happens in the New Testament. Even the apostles still had that type of frame in their head. They had that same framework. You know? Eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. What? Are you kidding me? Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. We, we understand that covenantally. We as covenant eschatologists, forget covenant creation for a moment here. We understand that covenantally. Okay? And then we get to the Old Testament, we read this stuff in the law, and we have to literalize it. And think, well, because the children of Israel believed it like that, that means it's true. Does that mean that's true? Hey, the children of Israel in the New Testament also state, when Jesus comes to raise Lazarus and whatnot, Martha states, I know he'll be raised on the last day in the resurrection. And I got this from Michael Vincent, uh, Michael Joseph, or Joseph Michael Vincent, sorry. Joseph Michael Vincent, who wrote The Millennium Past, Present, and Future. Got to get the book. He stated to me, hey, man, you ever wondered what was going on there? You know, a lot of futurists will use that position and say, hey, it's talking about a future resurrection at the end of the, you know, end of the world, if you will. But no, no. He responds to Martha when she says, I know he'll be resurrected on the last day in the resurrection. He'll be raised on the last day in the resurrection. Jesus turns to her and says, yeah, you're right, Martha. I agree with you 100%. No, no, no. He says, Martha, I am the resurrection. And though a man believe in me and die, he'll live forever. Huh? If a person dies, he lives forever? How in the world is a person going to live forever if he's dead? So you look at these things and you go, wow, these are covenantal things. You know, tear down this temple and I'll build it for three days. I'll raise it up in three days. And they thought he was talking about the temple they built in 46 years. And you go, well, they missed that point. They didn't understand. They didn't understand. They didn't have eyes to see and ears to hear. So we had to see the end of the story in order to understand the beginning fully, but the language in the beginning is consistent. And so they had this very uh, physical, natural understanding of things. They looked at things, they saw it, and didn't realize what its true implications were. These things have been kept secret from the foundation of the world, amen? I mean, they were predestined from the foundation of the world. They were a covenant people that God planned on resurrecting and raising. Genesis 1.1, win in heads or win in summit. God fattened. It's the idea of God's resurrection. It's the resurrection. When resurrected. Just get that idea because I'm going to bring Frank Phoebus on after a song here. We're going to take a quick quick break. And he's going to get into some of this language because uh, he is all about the language. And um, it, it's, it's just really, really cool to hear because Genesis 1-1 in Hebrew gets the idea not in the beginning. In Hebrew, it's like when in heads or when in summit. It gives this idea of being at the peak or, or raised up at the top. And so God fattened. He enriched the heavens and the earth. Those are his people. He raised them up and he fattened them. That's the idea going on in Genesis 1-1. And no sea was mentioned in Genesis 1-1. Revelation 21 says there's no more sea. But there's a sea in between, in between the story of the scriptures. 
yet there's no more see here. It's not even mentioned in the first verse. He declared the end from the beginning. Amen? Well, look, ladies and gentlemen, let's go for a quick, quick musical break here, and then I'm going to bring on Brother Frank Thebus, and hopefully uh, we can shed some light on uh, you know, this language, because that is the key, understanding uh, the language, and then also seeing how it's played out, and being able to keep recognizing the end in the beginning, the end in the beginning. And the whole, it's like a sandwich, you know, both buns, and in the middle, you got all that meat. You really won't get it. You really won't get it if you, see the, if you don't see the consistency of heaven and earth as covenantal all the way through Scripture. So um, we're going to go ahead and start this and bring Brother Frank Stevens back on the program. He was on yesterday, um, but here he is. He's coming back. So uh, <laughs> uh, just bear with me for one second, and I will get it on now. Bible Beacon Broadcast.
All righty. We're back. We're back. We're back. I had to transfer to my phone as well. So um, we have Brother uh, Frank Phoebus on. How's it going, Brother? Are you there? Hold on. Let me make sure he's on because I might be the only one on. I don't know if I added him on yet. I ran outside to my phone. So give me just a second. Let's see if we can get Brother Frank on and uh, we'll see what happens there. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I know he's going to be going into the language of Genesis chapter 1 and stuff. He's big on that. These are my boys here. Uh, let's see if we got him added on. I ran out before I knew better. Hold on one moment here. No, I didn't add him in. Here he is. All right. What's Hello. up, Brother Frank Phoebus? How you doing? <laughs> I'm, do, I'm doing just fine. I'm glad you found me. <laughs> found you. You were kept secret in the chamber of the Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> I was lost, but now I'm found. Yeah, I ended up uh, I ended up not pressing it. I don't know what. I was in a rush to hurry up and get out because I'm over at my mom's house. I don't have internet at my house yet that I just moved into. And uh, the only way to add someone into the room on this radio program is when you're on a computer that's capable of doing that. So I'm multitasking, and then I've got the kids running around, and you know how it is. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I had mine. They're all grown. I'm into the grandchildren <laughs> stage. Amen, amen. You were talking to me the other night, and you said that Genesis 1-1 gives you the idea of a resurrection. And so <laughs> is there any way, I'm being, you know, obviously I'm being facetious here, but is there any way to separate resurrection from the feast days? And to tie into that, is there any way to separate the feast days from Genesis 1. No, no. They're, inter they're integral. They're telling the same story. You just have to know what to look for. And it, it um, that's part of the problem I was saying, I was talking about yesterday. Um, but, yeah, I, I actually what I have is the mechanical translation of Genesis, which um, uh, adheres to uh, the language I was talking about. Um, it, uh, it stays faithful to it. it in fact, it... It shows how, you know, um, obtuse, you know, the translation, even a good translation, can be because of the concreteness of, you know, the Hebrew language. Amen. Amen. So, brother, we talked, and it's amazing because I, I saw you on YouTube years ago, didn't believe in this. Then I bump into you on Pal Talk, and we had a wonderful conversation that night. We were talking about how uh, seas and water, uh, how land – I read your article that deals with heavens and earth, and you point out that many cases uh, you show – and you didn't use it. Obviously, it wasn't exhaustive, but showing that people were world. The word world are people. That's people. For God so loved the world. It doesn't, he's not talking about planet. He's not talking about the globe. He's talking about people. For God so loved the world or the land. People are – these considered land. So in certain contexts, when it talks about land, uh, overflooding the land, these are the people, you know, these people being uh, destroyed in many senses. The context is there, you know, uh, the, if you will, tribulation, where they were, you know, Jerusalem, the wicked generation was, the, the flood came in. There was a flood that happened there, and the land was flooded, destroying them. So they were the people, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, let, let me uh, actually, you, you touched on a scripture. We'll, we'll go back to Genesis 1 in a second. But this uh, actually the allusion to God's love of the world, and the whole idea that um, well, you, you look you look at um, of course that's another part of John. But it, John, the first chapter of John is very very interesting the way it's laid out, 
as because of our orientation, we don't you know we don't question things. You know, it's like the nose right. on our face. We just you know we we don't know what to look for. But if you look at um, Genesis, uh, I mean, sorry, uh, uh, John uh, one, and it says um, uh, that would be the tenth verse, and it says, um, let me see here, let me see if I get this right. Okay. Um, first of all, it's talking about John, all right, John the Baptist. That's verse eight, and it says he was not that light, but was sent forth, uh, sent to bear witness of that light. Now, this is regular King James here. Uh, that right. was the true light, you know, it's capital L I G H T, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Uh, if we look at that <laughs> and we say, wait a minute. You mean every person that's born into the physical world has the covenant light? Because that's what we're talking about here is covenant light. And this is very important because this goes back to Genesis 1. Because obviously John is talking about not a cosmic light. He's talking about something to do with a, a covenant, has covenantial implications. I mean, I mean uh, to deny that, you, I mean, you really, you know, you don't, Either won't, don't want to see it, or gee, you know, uh, any any you know uh, teacher of, of the Bible will tell you that yeah, that's not that's not literal light that you know John is talking about, and so um, you know, and so that uh, so the assumption is, um, I mean, you don't assume it. You, you just look and you say, uh, every man that uh, cometh into the world, you know, has this light. All right, so that means every man. So see, th then again, this is part of what I was talking about, universalizing Scripture, okay, because of first mention. What's first mention? The first verse of the Bible, okay? Or uh, when, you, when you look at, or I should say the third verse of the Bible, he created light, okay? And so what we don't see, you know, all of us, you know, have had the problems we don't see the connection between the light of Genesis 1 and 3 and the light, all right, that is uh, referred to here in John. You see, we, there's a real, dis, you know, like it's just people don't want to look at it because it just breaks up too much stuff. Right? But when, when you finally see that that's not just, you know, an anomaly, you know, that's just not just, you know, one time because, you know, sometimes, you know, things are, uh, you know, coincidences happen right but when you see it happening hundreds of times when you see the language go from genesis 1 2 and 3 whatever and going right through the prophets minor prophets uh, uh the, the teachings of jesus and the apostles something should finally click you know, at least if you're really looking for truth, the problem is that we we, we just you know all of us are tied to systems, you know, we're tied to certain things. Uh, so, um, so obviously this scripture here in John one and ten is not talking about, um, it's not talking about a, uh, a cosmological light. And I'll, I'll finish it because I'm going to also touch on something else you just said. He was in the world. See, so you get that when you when you get with the Western understanding and the Western you know expressions, we're, we're thinking of a globe. We're thinking of you know you know they they didn't have a, in, they didn't go to the moon and, and, and take a snapshot of the world. That's our 
perception. But when we look at the word world in in the Greek, and when we understand the you know um, audience relevance and all of that, they did not conceive of this thing of the globe. Okay, it did not include uh, seven billion people. Right, and we'll prove that by just reading the rest of the scripture. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. See that. that People say, well, that's got to be the, the physical world. Well, and the and the world knew him not. Now, what do you mean the world knew him not? How could the world even know him? We had people living in South America at the time that Jesus lived in Judea. So, uh, is it referring to that? No, you got to read in context. Let the next verse, you know, uh, define what we're talking about. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Oh, they were the ones that did not receive him. You see, what people do is they automatically say, no, that does not mean that. Well, yes, it does, because what we, we're not trained to teach in context. What we're trained to do is we, we, get, we, we, we are trained to teach within the systems that, uh, that birthed us, that, you know, that brought us up. And so we're not looking for that, and we don't want to see that because we already see that the world is the globe, and it's got to include 7 billion people, 6 billion people, or whatever. All right? That is how they're looking at it. But they're not looking – I mean, I'm just talking about King James now. I'm not even talking about the Hebraic. I'm talking about – they're not even reading the King – they're not even reading in context as far as – if this, just, this is literature. If you just look at it, literature, right? You're not even reading the literature properly. So what happens is people, because of their orientation, uh, they can't even read. They'll read anything else. If if this was some other book, uh, uh, they could see it. If it was a history book, uh, they'd have to stay in context with what they're reading. But when it comes to the Bible, right, all of these things are, um, you know, the normal rules of of, of, of English. Um, and understanding comprehension um, goes out, out the window. So, so you know, there brother, you go. I, I want to comment on what you said there. I, I think it's so important because, you know, for example, there are those who haven't really immersed their, uh, in the study, uh, such as myself, and, and I know I got a grasp of it, and I'm, I'm doing pretty good with this. But there are those who, who are listening who may not catch the little details, and that's what I think is so significant. You just made a clear connection with he was in the world, the world knew him not. Now, we know that's talking about people, and it's using the word world, or if you will, cosmos in Greek. Of course. Well, what's interesting in that is we see in Second Peter 3, and most opponents, if you will, and I, I'll use opponents because there's some that are really opponents. There are those who just say, I don't understand it, and I, I don't really care to get into it. There are those who are blatantly against covenant creation, and they're fulfilled believers, as well as those who haven't really heard who aren't fulfilled believers, but... I think it's significant in Second Peter 3. I don't think we can emphasize this enough, where he talks about the world being destroyed at that time, if you will, and the heavens and earth being in and out of the water. So there's still a covenant people that were, that were saved through the flood. These are the covenant people who were in and out of the water, being on the ark, if you will, uh, the idea of being not in the water. And, and there's those who, who may have a different understanding of what water is there and stuff. That's fine. That's a side discussion. Uh, but ultimately, bottom line is, is the world being destroyed then? Was that talking about planet Earth? Well, that, that's what they're assuming. But how, how can the heavens be in the water? 
because it's the it's heavens and water. How, you see, you see it's, it's, it's amazing how when people read things, they're very selective. It's like their brain, it, it's not, they're not stupid. It's not because people are stupid or they're bad or anything. It's an orientation that will not accept certain things or they won't register. Okay, um, and I'm sure I, I've been that way myself. I mean, it took me quite. I was in ministry for years, uh, and I, hello, it took me years, and it it was embarrassing when after what I think it was in my 16th year of pastoring, and I had been living for God before that. 16th year of pastoring, and uh, finally the light, you know, but uh, went on. But uh, I mean, all along the way, you, you, there's little this red flags, you know. Red flags that come right, up. and then you got to deal with the red flags. After a while, God says, "Look, choose you this day," and that's where mm. I had to make my choice. See? Wow, <laughs> you had to make, you choice. make a choice. I mean, with... that's really what it comes down to because there's some right. hard choices. Now, uh, the people that are listening to this thing, uh, uh, some some people are just armchair Christians, you know, and 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 some people are Christians that really have done something. Okay. And so, um, you know, faith is not something that you just, that's in your brain. Faith is something that is, is a call to action. In fact, in the Hebraic, it's very, uh, it, um, it's not coming to my, 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 under, my recollection at this point, but it's a very, very um, a concrete term. It's, it's not something that has to do with serving or something to do with, with actually, you know, getting a hold of this, you know. I'm not I'm not express, expressing it properly, but uh, and I'm not remembering it. But it's it's a the, the term is not this um, uh, uh, faith. It's kind of like it's hard to really um, even explain. Like to a, a mental sense or something. How I explain it, how I explain it to people is faith is information acted upon, and then uh, mm. that's what it is. Because if you have it, it's not just biblical faith. It's like uh, any faith. You have faith in mathematics. We went to the moon, all right? I mean, we had uh, the information that we uh, we made sure it was right, and uh, we acted upon it, and it came through. The same thing. We have biblical information. Uh, either we allow it to sit in a, in a book called the Bible, or we actually internalize it and walk it out, flesh it out. That's what real faith is. And so, that, so people that have real, uh, living faith that have put their lives on the line for the gospel, right, uh, they have more credibility. And that, a lot of people have got to really uh, get up uh, uh, out of the armchair situation and really, um, uh, you know, get going. And those are the people, uh, uh, whether they be, you know, I mean, right, wrong, or indifferent, those are the people that, by and large, will eventually bump into this because they really want to serve God with all their heart. And then, then they, then they, they get to the point where, uh, you know, God gets them to the point where God says, "Look, um, I winked at your ignorance this, 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 you know, this much, you know, but now I'm calling you to a, a different level of activity here." I'm, I'm really putting it to you. This is what God does, and that's what He did to me. So it cost me. Wow. It cost me. It cost me position. Uh, it cost me a lot. I mean, it, you know, I'm not just trying to sell books. You know, <laughs> uh, I'm not trying to do that. Uh, uh, I'm, you know, 65 years old. I mean, we, you know, at this point in, in your age, we should be looking at doing the very best you can. 
Uh, and so there is no uh, nothing to be gained physically or you know economically in 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 pursuing this. In fact, it's like you know why why'd you shoot yourself in the foot for it? Why, I, at the time when you should be smelling the roses, man, you know you now you you are you know uh, on the backside of a desert. You know is that you know what the the blessing plan is? And and it's true. Right. That's part of the blessing. Part of the blessing is being castigated and and you know. So yeah, that's all part of it. Uh, let me ask you. I, let me I ask you I, this. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry. I was going to say in Luke no, sorry, 13, cool. it I, I want to get back to Genesis one in a minute, but I, I want you to yeah, you, yeah, yeah. To, to express yourself. Oh, this is going to, to tie into what we were talking about with the feast days. And so what right. I was going to say is in Luke Luke 13, I believe it is. And, and keep in mind, I'm on a cell phone. I'm hanging out. You know, this is my hobby. I love getting on this radio show, just expressing what I've been finding out and having you guys on there. So I, if I'm wrong on these uh, scriptural references, it deals with Luke 13, I believe, and it talks about the sun not giving light and the moon uh, being darkened and these ideas of this cosmological idea that everyone starts to go, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? But we see that those things are attached to feast days. We see in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about sun, moon, stars, beast of the field, bird of the air, fish of the sea, and man. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 40, I think it is, 39 and 40. But what I think is interesting, and I kind of want to throw this out there, is hey, the sun won't give light anymore, and the moon will be darkened. And it, the, the idea that there's no more sun, for those who are fulfilled believers, we should kind of recognize there's no more sun uh, there's no more moon. God is the light, you know. Uh, so we ask ourselves the question, this is talking Genesis language. Why in the world can't we see it in Genesis, you know? <laughs> well, the thing is, is uh, 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 again, uh, it's a matter of, 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 of understanding um, uh, the, the expressions are, are very Hebraic, extremely Hebraic. A lot of the... Uh, uh, New Testament uh, was written by people that spoke Aramaic and Hebrew, and John himself was was one of those, uh, the revelator, and and he, of course he wrote uh, uh, John and then uh, one, two, and three, and and so he uh, was very much of that orientation. When you when you look at his writing, and uh, when you and you, and you read those who are experts in language, right. Uh, they clearly, and there's not just one person. It's it's pr- pretty much the the jury of of of, of uh, eloquent, you know, uh, people who know what they're talking about. Um, uh, they uh, these biblical scholars agree uh, almost 100 percent that you know they have to agree because they know what the language is. See, uh, people that just go to church and, and, and most preachers by and large. Uh, do not do this kind of study. They don't have the time to do it. Well, they've given their whole lives to that. So they're kind of like the archaeologists. I call them like, you know, like a biblical archaeologist, you know. And they know, they look at a piece of, you know, uh, the outlay of, a, of, a, of, of the language, you know, uh, that's written. And they can tell. I say, yeah, that's, Aramaic. that's an Aramaic state, uh, statement. Uh, or that's a Syriac statement, or this is something that's a very Hebraic statement, or this is a form, a Hebraic form, and it's it's obvious. And although it's 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 written in uh, Greek, the Hebraic forms uh, kind of shine through. It's kind of like um, you know, uh, uh, you know, if somebody learning another language, right? And mm-hmm. if I would learn, uh, say, if I would learn a Greek, 
but and if I was to speak Greek, well, you could hear my New York accent through there. All right, <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'm just giving you that kind of an example. All right, but they do it in writing, and in writing you can't help but express where you come from. You can't hide that, and so the so a lot of the New Testament was actually. Um, uh, either written in Aramaic and Hebrew, and then uh, uh, you know translated, right? Or it was dictated, you know, into the uh, uh, you know whoever it was was actually speaking Aramaic or Hebrew, and someone actually uh, you know wrote it down for him in 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 another language in in Greek, uh, or as in the case of, of Paul, Paul you know he knew Greek, so boom, you know, he did it, and probably looped the same thing. See, so, uh, but the the you cannot get away. The more you study it, see, the more you study, the more that you get involved, the more research you do, it comes out, and it, and it's pretty much across the board. I mean, they know what they're looking at, and they say, look, yeah, these are Hebraic, these are Hebraisms, they call them, right? And 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 so th- this is this is the way this is said, the way this is repeated, the way this is, you know, and the cadence, you know, and the it's it, it's like the prose, it's it's very much like you know the old testament so that's that's what you know we have to look at and uh, and um it's like i said before like i said yesterday it there's a real bias against it now a lot of people don't say that nowadays of course you know everyone is so um oh no we we, we love the hebrew you know but nobody re- really understands and knows the, the hebrew bible they have a very scanty understanding of the hebrew bible they don't really understand what i'm talking about uh uh the, the old testament Right. When I say the Hebrew Bible, mm-hmm. they, they don't even know it in English. They, they, they don't have, a, 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 there is not a, a, a tradition of really knowing and teaching and understanding all right, the, the patterns of the Old Testament. No. no. They, they have the pattern for Jesus you know, dying and, and, and coming in prophecy and all that. But the rest of the story is they, they don't know. And that's the mm. problem we're having. That's, that's really Let me ask problem. you this, jumping topics, jumping topics back to uh, feast days. You were telling me, um, let me ask you just to get a little detail on the, on the fourth day, if you will, the sun, moon, and stars, and for right. days, months, years, seasons, if you will. Uh, w- can you kind of express how this uh, feast day idea is playing its role in Genesis 1? All right. Well, I want to. I want to. One thing before you. We, I, well, I just want to touch on something so I don't. I don't forget what you, you were first okay. talking about. Gen, Genesis one and one, and then I want to go into Genesis one and fourteen, which is where that is. Okay. Perfect. All right. Perfect. Um, it's um, in the in the mechanical uh, translation of Genesis, which is which is the one um, I read when I when I'm studying. Okay, uh, because now we, we get into the it, it gets into the Hebrew, and this this particular translation is truly mechanical, and it it, it really sounds really a little strange, but this gives you a good idea as to how how difficult it is to get it into the English. But this is the way it really reads: In the summit, Elohim fattened the sky and the land, and the land had existed in confusion and was unfulfilled, and darkness was upon the face of the deep sea, and the wind of Elohim was much fluttering upon the face of the water. And Elohim said, light exists, and light existed. Now that is the way the, the Hebrew <clears throat> is, and in fact, that is not the, 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 uh, 
how should I say, it, it's even more raw than that because because of verbs and because the way the verbs are are um, are placed in in, in the uh, uh, the sentences and how we have verbs and how we place verbs and how important uh, uh, our uh, the way we put how we put our sentences together. It's almost opposite. So, and then of course their uh, their uh, words. Uh, some of them are um, uh, they have uh, feminine and some of them are masculine. And so um, that bleeds into that. And it, it gets real mushy. I don't want to get into that really uh, in a heavy way. <laughs> but see what you said here in the summit, and you're right. Okay, he uses this the the, the um, editor of, of this particular version had it right. You look and you. In your concordance, you look in your 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 strong concordance. You look in any concordance; they agree that the word is. Um, it's a couple of words they use, right? One of them is summit, but another word that you that um, uh, that we discussed uh, was first fruit, Be, and first fruit had to do with the um, uh, the first <clears throat> uh, harvest. Now, when we look at harvest and we look at the feast of the Lord. What it indicates is resurrection, right? That's really what it's talking mm. about. Jesus said there's four months, they say there's four months and then come at the harvest, all right? Now, he was uh, alluding to the, the, the resurrection or the harvest of souls. That's really the end game for God. So the end game uh, became, was if the end was, was discussed in the very beginning, as you said, and the very beginning is the first verse of the Bible, because that really was the end game for God. And he said it. He said, look, he said, in the resurrection or in the summit or or in uh, the first fruit, God fattened the heavens and the earth. So without a, a resurrection, all right, um, there would not be any fattening, because the end game is to, is to fatten uh, heaven and earth. And so this is the language of, of, of the Bible. Now, people get offended by the language of the Bible. Well, you know, uh, that's unfortunate. But this is what the language of the Bible is really saying. And it agrees with the rest of the Bible. The narrative agrees with the rest of the Bible. The narrative of creating a universe at the beginning of the Bible does not agree with the rest of the Bible. It's like out of place because the whole uh, narrative of uh, the Bible is about uh, a relationship between God and man, and it begins at the very first verse. So the very first verse, he says, he says, in the first fruit or in the resurrection, God uh, fattened heavens and earth. So it's really a, a, a summation. What he's doing is he, 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 he gives a summation. The very first verse of the Bible is a summation of what he's going to do. So he just says it as if he's going to do it, then he does it. All right. What we see is that the story begins in the second verse. The story of the Bible doesn't begin in the first verse. The first verse is a summation, okay? And then the next verse is, uh, this is what he does. He, he basically, he sees a, I call it a car wreck, not, so people can understand what I'm saying. It's something that is, you have disorder. You have a total disorder there. Now, for people who who say that I'm I'm trying to make things up, well, you got to understand that uh, everything, uh, you know, they have got to explain. And they say to me, well, you know, this is not about what you're saying. This is this is about the creation of the universe. The the problem is that we have so many holes in this story. By the way, they look at it. 
and they, they won't explain that to me. I, I need to explain myself, but they can't explain the second verse. Right? They cannot explain uh, the idea of God you know, creating light two times in the same chapter. Right? They cannot explain a whole lot of things, a lot of things that are just do not make any sense whatsoever. You know, when we're looking at this particular uh, scripture, we don't have God making something out of nothing. Right? That's an assumption um, that uh, the Western writers have made. And it's not a concept of, the Hebrew mind does not conceive of anything made out of nothing. I'm sorry. It's just, there is no, um, uh, uh, how should I say, uh, uh, writing uh, uh, of the Hebrews or anybody else uh, with that conception at all. So it had to come out of a westernized understanding. It comes out of their language, right? Like when we say forever, you know, and that the idea of forever was never, never a concept of, 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 of the Hebrews, right? The concept of forever, when you say the word forever, the, the English word forever in the mind of a Hebrew means beyond the horizon or just behind the horizon. That's what that means, just behind the horizon. That's all it means, okay? Uh, when somebody says uh, uh, the word life, right, to a Hebrew, uh, the ancient Hebrews, the word life uh, was the stomach, I said, well, what connection does that have to do with life? Because that's how basic <laughs> uh, their needs were, and that's how, how basic they thought, you know. And so the, the, the idea of, of uh, life was what you ate. If you didn't eat, you had no life. So the life was really the stomach. Okay? Or, or when someone's angry, uh, they said that their nose, their, their nose flared. You know, so the, that's the way. So that's so to get that idea into the English is very difficult because we don't talk like that. We don't say, "Well, his nose flared." But <laughs> if you've ever seen anybody get angry, their nose does flare. Okay, uh, but see, it's, it's very much a, a very a concrete language. It's not um, it, it, English is very descriptive, and it's you know, and you know, you have four or five different words you can add to a, a certain situation. But the he. Hebrew language is not is not as as uh, the same thing. It's it's totally, it's like, <laughs> um, it's like uh, oil and water, okay. But um, so that you know, so you're right about that, and you, uh, and uh, you were talking about something up uh, related to it, but I uh, I don't want to yeah uh, the feast off. days in, in uh, verse four the feast days okay, yeah. one right all right so what what you got is um um well to um <clears throat> when we're looking at the the work of of uh of what we're looking at is the the death the first three feasts the death burial and resurrection okay and so what well first of all you got to go to genesis um uh 1 and 14 okay that's really the first place where you see it okay and it's not you know, it's obvious, uh, as obvious as we'd like it, but the words there uh, can give us an indication as to what, you know, what would, if, if you do a little study, you, you can see it. Um, let me see, one in, it's one of 14, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the way it's written. And Elohim said, the, the luminaries will exist in the sheet of the sky, to make a separation between the day and the night. And they exist for signs and for appointed times, for days and for years. 
and they exist for luminaries in the sheet of the sky to make glow upon the land, and he existed so. And Elohim made two of the magnificent luminaries, the magnificent luminary to regulate the day and the small luminary to regulate the night and the stars. And Elohim gave them the sheet of the sky to make uh, a glow upon the land. Now, um, of course, that is, you know, it's hard to hear that over the phone and say, well, you know, what's what's this guy talking about? Well, this is the way (laughs) the language really is, okay? And this is why it's so hard for, uh, you know, you've got to give credit to those who have done the best that they could. But really, you've got to go back to this. You've got to do the hard work if you're a teacher, especially. You're not talking about people that you know on the pews. It's it's very difficult. Uh, but if you if you if your preoccupation is the word of God, that's your job, and you're getting paid for it. Especially you know, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> you need to really do the hard work of doing the research so that you when you when you get behind the pulpit, uh, you're doing a reasonable job of you know of, of giving a, a, a understanding as to what you're talking about. And so when uh, when it's <clears throat> When it speaks, and we'll just do it from the King James, uh, just to, uh, so that it'll sound like uh, a little bit easier. Uh, the word seasons is the word uh, actually moed, and if you, you go into your concordance, you'll find out that the word moed um, talks about convocations. All right. Now, what, 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 why, why was this so important? Because God already understood that um, uh, this, because it says it's, it, it says sun, moon, and stars. It uses that language, right? And um, and the purpose for uh, the sun, uh, the moon, and the stars, um, uh, he illustrated it right there. Okay, he says. Uh, and let there be lights for the firmament of the heaven to divide the day and the night. So it's to divide the day and the night. And so people are thinking, well, yeah, that makes sense, you know, uh, literally dividing day and night. But we have language that goes from here all the way to the Old Testament, to do the Old Testament into the New Testament, and it's, the language is very clear. Uh, he begins uh, to, um, you know, the, the Bible uh, begins to say things like this, we're children of the day and not of the night, or the day or the night is far spent. Those types of things that are that are said in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Wait a minute, man. What do you mean the day is, the night is far spent? You mean, you mean the cosmological day, night? You mean, the, you know, 12 hours? Are you talking about, are we children of the cosmological day? What does that mean? Well, no, it's talking about your children of the prophetic day, okay? Not of the prophetic night, all right? Because we do have a prophetic day, and we do have a prophetic night. And if you look in the scriptures, like I said, it takes some digging around, you know. It's there. It's all there. It, it, it yeah. speaks very clearly of, of these things. I mean, I, I have the notes and everything, but I, I can't, you know, I'm not a computer myself. I've, I've done a lot of writing, okay, and I've taken it and I put it into my writing because you know if you want to you know substantiate the idea of what is the prophetic day and what is the prophetic night, you can't just go go around just making things up. You've got to bring a boatload of scriptures, and that's what I do. 
I just bring nothing but scripture, nothing but authority, not just, you know, my narrative, because that's not, that's not going to get it. You know, let me let me I'm ask not, you this, pertaining to the yeah. sun, moon, and stars, uh, Brother Phoebus. Um, now, we read in Joseph's dream, sun, moon, and stars. You know, we see that there's a sun and the moon and the stars that bow down to him. Now, how does that pertain to that uh, verse 14 in Genesis? How does that pertain to that um, and ties into this whole idea, if you will, uh, to get an oh. understanding of what and who or, you know, what is going on there? In Genesis 1, All right, 13. that's great. A great question. Um, what happened was that, and I use this analogy. In fact, I, this is one of the one of the scriptures I do use to hook it up, because here you have Joseph coming to um, uh, his father, and he tells him, you know, he, he had a couple of dreams. One of the dreams was the that he uh, the eleven stars and the sun and the moon did obeisance or bowed to him, giving him honor. And and so the father, uh, in a heartbeat, he didn't question. You know, he didn't say, "Well, you know, you're, you know, crazy, or you know, how dare you, <laughs> you know, uh, say such crazy things." He didn't say that. His his immediate response was, "Will your brothers, your mother, and myself bow down to you?" You see. So my question to people who want to dismiss what we're saying my 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 question to them is where did jacob get that identification for his family you see you got to say well where you mean he got it out of nowhere you mean you mean you talking about joseph jacob just i'm i'm so, no no i'm talking about jacob jacob uh actually understood what joseph was saying so he didn't mm, dismiss his son he said he said yeah he he, he you know he said you mean Tell me your 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 brothers, your uh, your mother and I are going to bow down to you. See, he understood what it was. My question to people who are questioning me is, where did um, uh, Jacob get this identification with sun, moon, and stars as being his family? You see, that's a big mm. question. They can't answer it because if they do, the only place they've got to go is first mention. And that's that's Genesis one and fourteen. See, so obviously they were already told. In fact, you look at the Old Testament. If you know the Old Testament, you know that Israel was the bearers of light. They had the prophetic light. They they had prophets. All right. So they understood the dividing of times and seasons, the Moed. All right. And that's why in the New, in the New Testament. Uh, it, it, you know, you, you see the, the scripture that says, and of the times and the seasons, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And you were talking about the consummation of the age. All right. It's all related. So the idea of the Moed or, or, or the seasons, all right, uh, was very much in use uh, uh, would be before Jesus ascended up into heaven, all right, before Pentecost, all right, 10 days before Pentecost. And, and they said, and, and the first chapter of Luke, and you know they asked him. He said, "Lord, you know, uh, when are, when are, when are we going to you know get rid of these Romans? You know." He says, "Well, have the times and the seasons. I would not have you know, uh, it, but you know, going to Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high." All right. So it, you know, this language is there for everyone to see. See, so the idea of the seasons is very important. It was prophetic speak. You know, 
But Gentiles today do not understand this speak. Even in the King James, they can't recognize it. But the King James really is pretty consistent. I mean, you've got to give them credit, okay? Uh, it doesn't give the whole story, but it, it really, really gives a, a, a lot of stuff that you can really, you know, um, uh, glean. And so when we're look, looking at Joseph and, and, and Jacob, well, they understood that they were the, the bearers of the prophetic light. That's why yeah. you find Jesus saying, look, he's saying, Jesus saying, look, I'm done with these folks. He, 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 I'm just, you know, paraphrasing. Jesus said, through his preaching, he basically said, look, I'm done with this here. I'm done with this system. I'm going to, you know, create a new system. He turned the sun, to the moon, church. The stars will not give he light. turned to his new believers, light. and he said, he said, now ye are the what? Ye are the light of the world. He was saying mm. the same thing. I said, the sun, moon, and stars, you're not going to shine no more, okay? Because they, the, the people of God, the old heaven and earth, right? Uh, Jacob and, and his descendants and all those people, right? Right down to the time of Jesus were the bearers of prophetic light, okay? And they uh, had blown it. And now God said, your lights are going out. That's basically what happened. And that's why the, the imagery of the New Testament uh, and the Old Testament, it's clearly, it says that the stars shall lose its shining, all right, or they shall fall from the heavens, all right, and, you know, the kingdom of God is in heavenly places. Right? It's not just in the New Testament, the Old Testament, it was, it was considered the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the Old Testament, the kingdom of God, the New Testament, all right, and so we don't just relegate it to the New Testament. It was the kingdom of God. They had a king. They had a physical king. Right? They and 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 they had a kingdom, and 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 uh, that was a land flowing milk and honey, and all that that appertains to that. So so uh, this is important. And so then then with the torch was passed on to that that new generation, that new covenant generation, and that's how you that how that's how that you know uh, unfolded, as far as I can see. Mm. And, right. And so when you ha so when you have the so the the so it's prof so it's a prophetic statement in in Genesis 1 and 14. It really is. How do I know that? I prove it with other prophetic statements. I'm not just saying that. I'm not making that up. How do you prove it? You've got to prove it with other scripture. Like I said, there's a boatload of scripture to prove, all right, that sun, moon and stars, heavens, uh uh, uh and earth, all right? Are God's people. You know, Moses spoke of it. I believe in thirty-second chapter of Deuteronomy, he was giving his last address, and he said, "Hear, O ye heavens; hear, O ye earth, the word of the Lord." And he started preaching to him, giving his last, you know, his his his, his last address. And so, um, heaven and earth are God's people, not the physical. So it didn't begin in the time of Moses. It began in Genesis one. Amen. Uh, and so you see, and then you see uh, Isaiah saying, "Earth, earth, earth, hear the word of the Lord." Well, how can the earth hear? See, right? It, it's, it's speaking. You know, the trees of the field, they shall clap their hands. I mean, trees have, you know, are, are, are have hands. No, this is this this Bible speak. This this is this is prophecy speak. And mm. so, so then when what we have is. Um, uh, when when uh, we have the codification of the law, all right, um, what we have is uh, the um, codification uh, or, or the institution of uh, the priesthood, the tabernacle, uh, the um, 
the, the dietary laws, right, and the feast of the Lord. Of course, there's other laws in there too, but really those are the four things that are really established. And But most people don't know anything about the feast of the Lord, and what they did was it was so important that when they left Egypt, they started with what they call the Passover and the Passover lamb. All of that was prophetic. It was type, uh, and then they, and then, 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 then they said, uh, uh, Peter said, "Oh, they were baptized unto Moses in the Red Sea." All that, all that imagery, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. this, is, this is heavy duty stuff. I mean, it's beautiful. And so it, they couldn't get out of Egypt without the first feast. That's how important it was. <laughs> so wow. You know, so you wow. had yeah. So it's exceedingly important, and and so. Uh, when they came into the, now, an interesting thing is there was 40 years, okay? There was a 40 years that was initiated, all right, in that year. It started with, you know, the giving of the law. And the giving of the law is what you call Pentecost. Well, Pentecost also initiated a 40-year period, all right? So there's an there is a parallel there. It's beautiful. And you look at the parallel. All right, of that 40 years and how uh, they uh, wandered in the wilderness and how they, you know, went through all different types of conflicts and, 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 and uh, you know, growing. And they were, they were a church, but, uh, and they had a promise, but they had not reached it until the 40th year. And then they so the promised came land. into the land for milk and honey. Same thing with the 40 years, the one generation that Jesus was speaking of. It's beautiful. I mean, the fingerprints wow. and the analogies and the patterns are so consistent. That's why if people don't know their Old Testament, if you don't know, you missed so much. But if you try to figure out the end times through the New Testament and with a few scriptures in the Old Testament, you are you are not going to find out. You'll have a, a superficial understanding, but you really will not understand the, the real riches of what uh, the Bible can offer. Well, brother, let me uh, – let me uh... Chime in here because we're drawing nigh to the hour and uh, the yeah. time is at hand. He cometh no quickly. No, I'm just <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I said earlier on in the show, it's like a movie, and sometimes when you're looking at the beginning of the movie, you'll see things and you'll go, "Wow, okay." But you just see it at a very basic level, then you see the end of the story. And uh, I was encouraging people to, you know, watch the movie of scripture. You know, analogy, an analogy there, of course, metaphorically speaking, watch the movie of scripture. And you'll see it all the way from Genesis 1 to Revelation wrap up, and you'll see the same language used. You'll see this stuff continuously used. The, the, it's, it's the same Hebraic ideas. And where we get the ideas to change them from cosmological to covenantal as fulfilled believers, just it really uh, goes past my head to, to get that. And uh, so w- what I wanted to do is first I want to go ahead and make sure everyone gets the information in your email because you haven't received an email to get these, the free uh, literature that you're willing to pass out for people to read. There's a lot of stuff yeah. that I actually was reading, and I said, wow, I, I never really thought of it that way. So if anyone's interested in learning more, uh, frank.phoebus at yahoo.com. That's frank, F-R-A-N-K, dot phoebus, F-E-B-U-S, dot com, or at uh, yahoo.com. No, 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 so, no, no, no. It's frank no? dot F, F as in Frank, E as in Edward, B as in boy, U as in union, S as in states. You had that right. Um, at uh, yahoo.com, right. Yahoo.com. Is that what That's you right. said? Did you say That's yahoo.com? I, I messed up and I said uh, at frank dot dot com. <laughs> frank no no no, no. <laughs> dot frank, at yahoo dot com. 
Yes, yes, that's it. And it's all free, and there's no hooks. There's no there's, there's no agendas. There's not you know, um, uh, there's not actually uh, you know I've I tried to uh, sell um, uh, books. I've got some books still left over from the other uh, other book that I've got, and uh, it's just a, a lot of uh, you know uh, having to borrow money and then the, the logistics and and all of this. I rather would just I digitize everything now, except for the last book. I'd like to get rid of that one, but um, it's a good book, it's a very good book. What I'm just saying is that uh, I'm not trying to push any of that. Uh, what I am trying to do is I'm trying just to just to give this stuff away. Uh, I give away all of my uh, and it's, I did a lot of hard work on this stuff. I know some people would never do that, but um, I'm really not worried about that. I think it's more trouble than it's worth, especially if you're not hooked up to a big denomination that, you know, that you can kind of, you know, uh, uh, hook up with and you know, you've got people re ready to, to go, you know, to, to, to publish. Uh, so uh, since we don't have that, we really like to get into people's hands. We've got uh, articles and uh, various things that really would bless people. And, uh, and you know, if they ever want to get a hold of me, if they get a hold of you, they, they can discuss it. Well, Brother Frank, end us in prayer, and we'll get out of here. All right, go on. You want me to lead you? you sure said? thing, brother. All right, I didn't think that. Okay. Heavenly Father, we're thanking you, Lord, for this time. I thank you for this opportunity that you bless each and every heart, you know, and hungry hearts, that you fill them with your, your, your manna, that manna from heaven. Anoint that manna and allow it, Lord, to stir them up to a greater responsibility and faith. Uh, Bless, Lord, this ministry, and bless each and every one in Jesus' name. God bless you. God bless you, brother. Thank you so much. Uh, this is this is a Bible Beacon broadcast. Thanks for coming on. We definitely look forward to the next time you come on. I figured it was good to have you back on. So we will look right. forward to you Thank next you. time, brother. Have a good night. All right. God bless you now. Bye-bye. God bless you. Bye. Yeah, bye. Bye. Well, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, there's the Bible Beacon broadcast, your host, Derek Lambert. I hope there was some stuff that we touched on that was interesting. You know, we looked at land, world as people, the word land or, or earth or world as people. We looked at sun, moon, and stars. We looked at Genesis 1-1. We looked at God had things kept secret since the foundation of the world, kind of like the movie. You know, you see the end of the, the movie, oh, my goodness, that's what they meant at the beginning. I didn't get it. <laughs> Same thing going on in the scriptures, but obviously in a much more ancient, uh, in their time contemporary, but an ancient uh, story. And so we're looking back through the ancient eyes, as John Walton would say, you know, looking through the scriptures with ancient eyes or looking at Genesis through ancient eyes. So God bless every one of you. I hope that uh, we can do this broadcast here soon. We should have other hosts and other uh, topics that will be coming on. Um, you know, I'm calling out our brothers in, in the Covenant Creation uh, Camp to come forth, and uh, those who are fulfilled believers that are willing to come on here and talk about why they believe prophecy is fulfilled. I'd love to have people get on here. Brother Michael Miano has already been doing his program. Um, I'm sure we'll have Jeff Fon back on. Thanksgiving's coming up. We should have Tim Martin here soon. Uh, Tim Martin will be on the show. That's going to be an interesting one because all you have to do is listen to his sermons and have your blown, your brain just blown out of your head. It's just such amazing, awesome truths that just hopefully move people to act in faith. But God bless everyone, and uh, you have a wonderful evening, and I hope uh, you guys tune in next time to the Bible Beacon broadcast. God bless. Bye.